Hello, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. My name is Zoe, and I'm your host, and today I am so beyond honored to be here with Matthew Chavez, did I say that right? Yes. A.K.A. Levy, A.K.A. the creator of Subway Therapy. Welcome. Hey, it's nice to be here. So, uh, I'm so excited right now. Um, just to give my listeners some background information, or at least give you some accolades, I read that the uh, Washington Post said your, your project was an international symbol of unity and expression. The New York Times said it was one of the most significant expressions after the election, and the notes will never for, be forgotten. Um, they did say that. They did say that. So if you don't mind, let's backtrack and tell me about yourself. Where are you from? Sure. Everything. <laughs> so uh, most recently in the last couple of days, there's been some interesting articles, not to like sidestep your question, but somebody called me the rogue therapist. Oh, okay, yeah, I read that. <laughs> recently. Oh, that was so funny. Anyway, um, so my story. Uh about four years ago, I assume you want the long story. Yes. <laughs> uh, about four years ago, I had just finished teaching English in Seoul, South Korea. Okay. And then I crashed on a motorbike. And Ow. I wasn't really wearing very good protection on my feet. So I just had flip-flops on. And I was in a super remote area. And... They, it was a comedy of errors for sure. And I ended up going back to Korea for healthcare. I was there for about three weeks. I didn't really have a whole lot of people to talk to. Uh, and I just thought a lot about pain and isolation and how people feel better about all the things they feel bad about. And then after I went to California, which is where I grew up, I grew up in Gilroy, California, if you know where that is. Where is that? Like Southern? That is... Uh, South Bay Area. It's just south of San Jose. It's about an hour and a half south of San Francisco. And it's pretty funny. Um, I was off my feet for so long, for about two months. I watched all of How I Met Your Mother in like (laughs) one sitting, just every episode. (laughs) Many hours a day. All 10 seasons. Yeah, it was crazy. And then um, after a while, I just really got obsessed with, you know, people have these random things happen to them that are really difficult and challenging and how do they feel better about that? Mm-hmm. And so I uh, got really possessed with this idea that I would become a secret keeper. Like I would let people share something heavy, get something off their chest. And I came to New York in December. I think it was Christmas Day. I left in the evening. 2015. Okay. And then uh, early that next year, so that's 2016, I start going to the subway in March and I'm doing Secret Keeper, sign that says Secret Keeper, and I sit at this table with two chairs and people can share something with me. And uh, that went on for a couple months. People would say stuff like, oh, man, this is great. This is like therapy. And I was like, that's funny. I should wear a suit. And then I started wearing a suit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, fast forward I'm doing subway therapy for months uh, doing one-on-one conversations just like this one just Mm -hmm. me talking to another person and uh, the election happens 2016 Trump is elected president and New York is a strange place there's just a lot of people and I can tell a lot of people have something to say Mm -hmm. and I figured the model that I'd been using of one-on-one conversations, me and a stranger, uh, wasn't going to cut it. So I brought a bunch of sticky notes and let people write on them. And I wrote Express Yourself. And like tens of thousands of people did that. Wow. It turned into this crazy, wild, viral thing that got picked up on basically every news outlet in the U.S. and in a bunch internationally. Super wild. And so that's been sort of my life since. I set up installations where people can respond to a thought-provoking question or they can just write uh, whatever they feel like writing in public space. Uh, I have a couple of books that I've written since then. I have a new project called Secret Telephone, which I'm really excited about. A telephone that you can share secrets and hear secrets at, which is really fun. And why did you choose the subway in particular? Um, I chose the subway because I really, really enjoyed 
the myriad of people that you find in the New York subway. Yeah. <laughs> they, because all the people in New York are there, they are, you know, everyone goes through the subway to commute. So I can't really choose, even though I'm, I'm in Manhattan mostly, mm-hmm. the demographic of people is pretty split amongst people who are working in Manhattan, people that are, you know, going from Canarsie to, you know, the Bronx or wherever it is that people are coming or going to, I think they have a chance to see the work. Is that why you chose like the, I think you're pretty much posted in Union Square. Uh, Union Square is actually someplace that I went to a lot, but then I don't really go to very much anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just gotten so crazy and yeah, so busy. Fun. These new guardrails and they try and like direct traffic in certain ways when I'm there, it, it really does obstruct the, the yeah. traffic. And, and I would love for it to be there, but uh, usually I'm in the the tunnel between the 123 and the LFM lines. Okay, yeah, that's what I think I've actually seen 14th you more. Street, 6th Avenue. Mm-hmm, that's where I've seen you most recently, I believe. Yeah. And do you have, like, I mean, obviously, when you're staying in the subway, there's other performers. Mm-hmm. Do you have regulars i guess for lack of a better word of people you see often yeah totally and what do you talk about with them do you mean uh like co-workers this is when you say other people that are performing um, i definitely have built relationships with other people that are down there yeah there's this guy named zach who's uh got like i think he's got a like mid-sized afro most of the time and he's out there playing beatles music and he's awesome. He's so fun and so interesting. And he's really a funny guy. <laughs> he comes up and talks to me every time down there. I'm like, what's up, dude? What are you doing? And he's like, oh, my gosh. What do you think about politics right now? And then we'll have like all these crazy conversations about current events and things like that. He's just out there singing, playing Beatles music. Do they have, like, crazy background stories? like The performers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely. He's a professor of history. Oh, really? And, uh. Yeah, his his life experience is so different than mine. He's more conservative. He's black. He's older. Uh, he just has a really has had a really like crazy life, full of. He's been singing and playing Beatles songs in that tunnel for twenty years. Wow, he's so probably seen everything. He's just seen so much, and he just wants to make the world a better place with his music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's essentially what you're trying to do with your project. Yeah, I think a lot of people that go into the New York subway are interested in sharing a piece of themselves or at least being part of the, you know, being in the pool. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like this big party that some of us are at and other people are like walking by. <laughs> what percentage of people would you say stop by as opposed to just, you know, have their blinders on walking like insanely fast to our- I mean... Uh, it sort of depends on what time of night and how big the crew is. Mm-hmm. The the most popular that it's ever been probably still only draws five to ten percent of the people that are walking by. There's thousands and thousands. Yeah, of there's so many people. Like every hour, there's probably thousands of people. And um, I don't know. It depends. If the question is something complicated, like what's the hardest part about your life, or something like that. That's not even that complicated, but it's yeah. more complicated than what makes you happy. And one um, percent probably is, is what really? I would guess. Yeah, on average, huh. especially with subway therapy, when it was just me doing my thing and talking to people, mm. it was probably one percent. When you were doing the one on ones, yeah, the one on one conversations. Because I mean, that's a, there's like yeah, a pretty takes- like high barrier to entry there. Yeah, because it's yeah. like um, takes more time, I guess, or they think they're going to be like locked in a conversation or something yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. And do you read all of the sticky notes? I re- have read most of the sticky notes. I Let's see. The New York Historical Society has about 6,500 sticky notes, almost 7,000 sticky notes that they collected after oh, the election. Really? Um, I just donated about 12,000 to the New York Transit Museum. Wow. The Museum of the City of New York has about 1,000 notes. So I've read most of the notes that I've given uh, as donation to institutions. And then I have about, I'm probably like 
getting back towards 30,000 notes in my mini storage and apartment. What would you say are the common themes? I mean, it depends on the question, I guess, but like maybe a couple of common answers per the main questions you asked. Sure. Um, Let's see. After the election, a lot of people were writing about supporting each other. Really, the, the general message was, I support you, you know, even if people are making you feel like you don't belong here, you do. And so that was really wonderful. I saw a lot of messages at that time that were about uh, confusion. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite notes ever was a note that said, I don't understand, but I will try. We need each other. I love that. And I thought that was really wonderful. Because at any time, if you're in a bed, if you're in a troubling moment in your relationship, if you are having a hard time at your job, if you're worried about current politics in America, you can always say, I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. But like, I'm going to try and figure it out because we need each other. Yeah. I love that. That's so, yeah, it's a really nice message. And then for other ones, um, this last prompt that I've been doing, it's called, uh, I just wrote, how are you really? There's a question that I got because I posted on my Instagram, which is at Subway Therapy. Mm-hmm. I posted a question that said, hey, it, it, I want you guys to pick a question. What question would you ask oh, okay. in that's New good. York? Because I want to do something that's fun. I do stuff like that with my like Instagram interactive. all the time, like interactive stuff. I really do want people in my community to, to have some input and say and be like active participants in the installation, even if they can't physically be there. Mm-hmm. And... I uh, got a bunch of different responses. One of them was something like, how are you really? And, and I thought, oh, that's, you know, it's a little leading because it's a, if you say, how are you? Yeah. But then you say, maybe right, how are you really? There's this assumption that you wouldn't have said how you are if it just said, how are you? Yeah. But it's a pretty good assumption to me. <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, the, the response has been so sad. They've yeah, that's been, what I imagine. They've been really tough. There's a lot of people that have responded with, um, I don't know how I'm going to keep going. They've responded with, um, you know, I just feel like this depression setting in. I'm not sure what the way to get out of it is. There's been a lot of notes about mental illness, depression, sadness, loneliness, things like that. And do you that's ever awesome. reach out to those people or do mm-hmm. they reach out to you? Um I think people will usually post things. I I don't assume that I know the best way to help people, even though I'm you know going out and doing this thing. I really let it evolve naturally in the way that people have have told me they want it to evolve. So I haven't really done a whole lot of reaching out to people that have expressed how they feel because my assumption is by sharing it, it's part of that process. Yeah. Of just 100%. being able to it's get therapy. off your chest. And I don't want to say, hey, I saw you write this super heavy thing. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Which probably isn't a bad thing, but I'd be sending a lot of those messages. Yeah. Which is... yeah. I'm not sure what the best way to go about it would be. I've actually thought a lot about doing a listening project where I just have hours. People can call in and they can talk to me about a specific topic. Yeah. I mean, like I think what you're doing is pretty incredible because it's basically you're offering yourself up as like a resource, which is just kind of that little spark that I feel like people need to share their feelings because it's so stigmatized. I think, I mean, my podcast is obviously about mental health and about connecting people through their loneliness and through their sadness and showing that it's not just them. And you're doing that by just putting up sticky notes. And I mean, it's, that's the goal. Yeah, but, like, I think kind of what you said is, like, you don't have to actively go out and set it or go out and, you know, comfort them because that little gesture of just allowing them to write it down is Mm -hmm. kind of therapeutic in its own way. Yeah. But what was the other prompt that you said you did? Like, what's the hardest thing or something? Uh, I haven't done that prompt specifically. I use that as an example of something I'm interested in exploring. Um one of the more complicated prompts that I did was after the, uh, after uh, the events that happened in Charlottesville, the protest, mm-hmm. I went out and wrote 
dear Charlottesville, comma, love, comma, New York. And then I left some space. Like as if people should fill in that space. Mm-hmm. And I had longer sticky notes with lines on them that they make, mm-hmm. that 3M makes. And uh, I had people write letters that started with dear Charlottesville. And then people would write all these different things. And they were amazing. They were, they were uh, I have about 800 letters. Did you send them? Uh, I haven't sent them anywhere. I've, I've shared them online. But I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what's the, what's the purpose? What's, what's, what's the thing to do after? Because ultimately what my objective is, is to do something that's meaningful for somebody in that moment. Like yeah. when they're walking by in the subway. And I think a lot of people would assume that as an artist, my goal is to create content or to create uh, some sort of work with the things that I gather. But I would argue that the the experience is the most important thing. And and it's okay for those things to be ephemeral. If I end up sharing them, like, uh, you know, who who would you send it to? You send it to the mayor? True. You send it to the family of the woman that died? Do you send it to, you know, who do you, who do you send it to? Yeah. So, and, and what does that object mean? Like, what does that object represent? Like this stack of 800 letters. True. I mean, yeah, it's a lot more complicated than yeah. you'd initially think. Because even if I donate it to a museum, if it's that in an archive, yeah, you like, know, is that like the are best they place see to it? be? Because maybe it makes people feel good. Like, oh, those letters got collected by the Smithsonian Museum. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot to, there's one of the great things about this work is that there's a lot of fun things to think about. Like I get to figure out these problems. And I think that's super fun. Definitely. I mean, I, I know that you either recently or relatively recently started a podcast where you share some of the stories and play the music uh-huh. of the, of the people who I guess be your coworkers for lack of a better word. Sure. Um, do you have any like favorite stories, um, that I could, that you could share with my listeners. Ooh, a favorite story. Or plural, you know, <laughs> I think that time. That, yeah. One of my favorite stories of subway therapy ever was with this woman that I talked to. I'm going to move this a little bit further away. If you okay. want to move yours closer, you're more than welcome. Sure. Um, like closer to you. Because uh, <laughs> uh, now there's some more space. Anyway. Gotcha. Um, there was this really, hilarious woman that I was talking to who sat down with me who had these Whole Foods bags and uh, she'd probably just been at Whole Foods. We were in front of Union Square and we were sitting up uh, in the park. I wasn't actually in the subway. Oh, okay. And it was so funny because this woman sat down with me right after this guy had come up to me and said, hey, I don't want to talk about like therapy or secrets or whatever. I just, you know, want to chat and, uh, or I just want to warm up. And I was like, warm up. Okay. And he was like, I'm going to hit on people in the park. And I was like, all right, that sounds a little scummy, but mm, okay. And then <laughs> you see as a- <laughs> he, was just, he was just like a guy that was trying to figure out girls. And, and I was like, okay, I'm very, I'm intrigued by this. Tell me about this. And he was talking about how he was going to like run up to people and talk to them. And I was like, mm, pickup technique it just seems kind of you know contrived and uh it wasn't like uh, he, he, would, he he didn't strike me as somebody that couldn't just go up and talk to somebody at the bar you know he obviously had some confidence and he was fine he worked for some tech, tech company that he started <laughs> and uh so he like i'm like give me an example like who would you even talk to like what are we talking about here and he was like oh like like somebody like that and he like ran away and go to go talk to her and then this woman happens to sit down right then mm-hmm. and i was like yo this super funny thing is happening right now and she's like what is this i'm like people can just talk to me they can say whatever and she was like oh great so so nice and then she told me that her name was lady O. I was like okay and then uh we just watched this guy fail just one after another was so funny and he would run up to the table and tell us like what had happened and this woman was so funny and she grew up in new york and how old is she roughly 
She was probably like 62. Oh, okay. She was talking about how Whole Foods is the best place to, to shop because they take food stamps. And so, like, she can get all the good shit. You know, I didn't know that. So, like, why go to some crappy store when you can go to Whole Foods? I'm like, I like your attitude. And she was so funny. And she, we were watching this guy, and she's like, she, she kept saying all these super funny, like, one liners. She did. Oh, that motherfucker's hungry. And I was like, oh my God. She was just amazing. And uh, she's one of the, the favorite people that I've ever encountered doing subway therapy just because of her candor and talking about how interesting it was to live in New York for like 35 years and then move to LA for 20 years and then to come back to New York in her late 50s to see how different. Yeah. Well, you know, she used to live in Williamsburg when she was growing up. And, and before it was, it was cool. Super shitty. And then she came back, you know, basically like came back to New York in her 50s mm-hmm. and was like, what, where did all these white people come from? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, had to figure out like where to live. And it was just a fascinating experience to talk to somebody about their life experience. It's very different than mine. And then, for her to be so funny was just hilarious. Did the guy ever end up scoring? Like, did he ever? Like- I think he did get somebody's phone number. It was funny. He was telling me he was going. To, he was trying to ask people to go on an Insta date, and I was like, Insta date? I was thinking like Instagram. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Like an instant date. He means like instant date. He was um, like, I'm going to ask people to go on a date with me to that Starbucks. He had coined at the Starbucks. Oh, I know which one. Like, like you've got to be kidding me. Like that's a thing to do. It's so weird. Yeah, that's so weird. But anyway, I ran into him later. He's one of my regulars. If you oh. to come back to that regular thing, I was just in the subway doing a sticky note project, and he ran to me. He's like, "Oh man, do you remember me? Like, this is crazy. What is all this?" Because it was so different than the first time I met him. Okay, so the first time was when you were doing just just the, the conversation. Okay, okay. And then he came up across one of my sticky note installations, mm-hmm. and he was like, "What is all this? this? Is crazy!" Like. I'm so glad to see that you, you're doing well. And I was like, what about you, man? Like, what's the deal? He was like, well, you know, actually, I ended up getting back together with my ex-girlfriend. And we're actually super happy. We've been together since then. It was like two years after I saw him the first oh, time. Wow. So, you know, they're like, I wifeed up or whatever. That's funny. <laughs> that was really funny. So would you say that those one-on-one conversations you've had, like, resonate more because they obviously are a little bit mm. longer? Do, you, do people ever write on the sticky notes and then to come talk to you, I guess? They do. I, I used to make myself more, obviously, the the facilitator of the project. Mm-hmm. I used to dress up in a suit, like as the subway therapist. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my uniform. And then um, maybe a year and a half ago or two, or two years ago, I just didn't know if that was something that really benefited the project because I didn't necessarily need me to be inside of it visibly. Mm-hmm. It was really about the sticky notes and about people's expression and their voices and things like that. And while I might be the eccentric facilitator of subway therapy, I transitioned away from being the only thing that was important to subway therapy as the therapist that you could sit with to being just the person that sets it up. And and I think when I made that transition, it actually made it easier for a lot of other people to think that they could do it too. Yeah. They didn't need to dress up or be in the middle of it. They could just set something up in some public space and then go. Oh, got it. Like other people who want to do a similar project. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think also that people feel a little bit more comfortable when they think it's almost anonymous? Um, people, do people walking by doing it feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I also want to prevent people from looking at me and thinking, oh, this must be good because he's a, he's the, leader of it yeah he's like a part of it i don't want people to say like oh what is this because all the time people come up to me when i'm wearing a suit or wearing nicer clothes uh or or even looking like i'm the facilitator if i'm standing in a a certain way facing away from the wall there's no reason why i should be standing like that yeah (laughs) you know in the subway yeah yeah. if i'm at the thing but not looking at it that's weird so people like oh are you doing yeah um, but people will come up, the biggest question that I get when I'm standing there is like, what is this? Yeah. What do you say? 
I don't want to answer that question. I want them to figure it out for themselves. Like I want every person that participates to feel like they have their own reason for enjoying it. Oh, I like that. And so you never say, say like you don't define it. I, if they ask me, I do. What do you say? Because I say, oh, it's a it's a community based project. It's participatory art. Anybody that wants to write something can. They can get something off their chest. They could talk about their stress. They could do whatever. I, I basically say some variation of, of you know it's a participatory project that invites the community to come together and share ideas okay. or, or answer thought-provoking questions or something like that. And if I say that, people are like, oh, wow, that's really great. But it's like the, the value of it is determined by how well I do my pitch in mm-hmm. that moment. And, yeah. then, and maybe I'm, I'm you know, being too critical about it, but I think that's kind of true. Like I like for somebody to go up to their friend after and say, like, oh, my God, I found this crazy sticky note thing in the subway and they were like what like what was it now i don't even know what it was but it was super cool like yeah that's great like that doesn't help my brand grow or whatever but it helps somebody to feel like they came across something special and it's special because they decided it was special not because i said that it was i love that how do you so so my first question sorry i'm just like thinking more and more Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so, I've, got, I've got time so my first question is so do you not watch the or like do you not stand and watch are you in the subway at all when you set up um i tend to just set up and then kind of hang out nearby okay usually i go sit somewhere nearby and just kind Sometimes of keep I'll watch. leave you know to mm-hmm. go work at a coffee shop for an hour or two I tend, I really don't like leaving it for very long. Yeah. Uh, I try not to leave for more than now. And, you know, after my recent ticket that I got, uh, I think it'll be increasingly important for me to be there. So that yeah, way definitely. I can, um, I had, I, I started some conversations with the NTA and, uh, you know, I had a conversation with the NYPD and a lot of what, led to uh, me being asked to leave had to do with just notes that weren't reflective of the MTA's values yeah. being up. And I totally understand. I like to let things kind of. Yeah. I was going to ask about that yeah. because I know that there was kind of a debate of whether or not it was taken down because it was the MTA needed to clean. And then that there were right. some notes that may have been offensive, but then you made the argument that you wanted it prioritize free speech and then would only take down things that you considered you know, very, very too much. Expensive. Yeah. So could you kind of explain your thought process? On sure. That? So let me kind of explain what it, what it looked like for the, the yeah. listeners. Um, yes. I'll, I'll bring a table, two chairs. Uh, this one actually just had a table and I put a bunch of sticky notes on it. And then I wrote, how are you really in sticky notes on the sub in, in the New York subway on a wall next to the table? Mm-hmm. And I wrote, how are you really? And people were writing all kinds of different things. And there was about five or 600 notes that were sort of spread out from the place where people started writing at the table outwards. And some of them had some, you know, one, one was like, I'm so hard. Or one was, uh, one was, you know, the question was, how are you really? And, and one, one said like, uh, I want eight inches in me or something like that. I was like, okay, they're probably like a little inappropriate, but they're not inappropriate that I wouldn't say it on a podcast. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so I'm like, yeah, all right. They're like, not like I, hate crimes. Yeah, I saw them and then thought, no, oh, all right. You know, like that, that's pretty funny. Like somebody might walk up to that and think it's quite funny. And uh, so, so I was just doing the thing. It was about 7.30. I'd set up at 2. I was planning on taking it down soon anyway because you can go have dinner with a friend around 8.30. And uh, I'm usually, I, usually I'll set up at 2. And then whatever, however many notes have been written, I take them all down at uh, around 8. So that's like my usual setup. Okay. Six hours right during rush hour. People can see it on the way home. Sometimes I'll leave it up until 10 o'clock or midnight or something like that. But, you know, it's a lot of time to be in the subway for eight hours or 10 hours or whatever it is. And uh, so I was down there. It was about 7.30 and some police came down. I could tell they were, you know, looking for something. And I said, hey, are you guys 
I'm the facilitator. What, how can I help you guys? And uh, I said, yeah, well, we need to give you a citation. I'm recording now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So those as you were saying. the fun things I was talking about adding into the audience. <laughs> exactly. Got to make it more, more interactive. Um, so I was just saying that, you know, when I set up my installations, I'll do them from like two to eight. And so it was about 730 and, uh, you know, some cops rolled in. I could tell that they were, they were looking for me. So I just said, Hey, I'm a facilitator of this. You know, what can I do for you guys? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we need to give you a citation. And so they did that. And then they, they said I needed to pack up and, and leave the subway station. So I just did that. Honestly, I've been kicked out of stations all over the place. I've been kicked out. Of Is that your first station. citation then? It's my first citation. It was my first engagement ticket. I've been kicked out of a subway station in Berlin. We kicked out of a subway station in Brussels. Mm -hmm. just, you know, if you're there and you don't ask for permission, people are going to kick you out. It's just the, the Did way. they say why? Um, yeah, at the time, they, there was something about, like, a, the person that they talked to said that they were trying to clean and then they weren't able to because I was there or something like that. And uh, later, I've heard in the MTA's official statement was that it had to do with the lewdness of the notes that were up there that just weren't reflective of the MTA's okay. uh, values, which I, I, you know, I totally respect that. Like I've done, I've done gnarlier projects down there where there was obviously stuff that probably shouldn't have been there. So I should probably be a little more, I should, I should be more aware. How do you <laughs> monitor it though? Like, let's say someone posted something that was like, just, well, this is a side note, but I just realized that, do you think like posting something on Instagram came from posted notes at all? Um, I, or by, or maybe it was already something. I don't think so. Uh, my, well, my assumption is that post is probably just like a verb, the mail that, that also, okay. Like, like sending, sending messages. That can very well be it. <laughs> but, but also post it would be like posting up somewhere for people to see. So it could True. be from that. True. Um, but what I was going to say, like, let's say someone posted a note that said something hateful about the New York police or something like that. Sure. How would you, A, notice it? B, how long do you think it would take to notice? And like, what do you no do idea. about it? I have, I have no idea. I mean, okay. I'm sure, I'm sure some, let's say I do a super popular installation is like 10,000 notes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be very difficult for me to read through every single one to make sure there isn't, you know, like so in real time. sometimes people like write really long ones mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily read the entire thing to make sure that nobody has written something offensive inside of a larger message. True. Cause that could happen. You know, it could, it could be like, Oh, my life's so hard. And I'll, I'll like start reading and be like, okay, this is about somebody's hard life. But it could be like, you know, F the NYPD. Like they're always giving me a hard time. Like I hate them. I wish I'd kill all them. Yeah. You know, like that, that would be terrible. Like I would, I would hate for somebody to feel that way. And then also, you know, it's tough when they express it publicly because you, you know, it's just how they feel. Like you connect it to a little bit. Yeah. Like they, it, I don't want to incite people to feel that way. I mean, a lot of people have a bad relationship with police in America just because that's the culture that we have. Mm -hmm. Which I think is really a travesty because I have a really wonderful relationship with the NYPD so far. And uh, I've been doing stuff that I know I'm not supposed to be doing. And they're pretty nice. But, you know, I also know I'm like a white dude. And I can get away with doing stuff that I wouldn't necessarily recommend other people to do. Like I wouldn't necessarily recommend sitting alone in the New York subway at 11 o'clock telling people to tell you their problems. Yeah. I just wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's not like, it's just, I do some weird stuff that I don't necessarily recommend, but yeah, I don't know if I would take it down. I probably for something like that, I would take it down. If it was about like murdering yeah. police or something like that, obviously. But if it's F NYPD, I mean, they know people are going to say stuff like that. Yeah. If somebody can get that off their chest via a sticky note. That's probably a better way to then express say, it yeah. than saying it to a cop or, or just being disgruntled in general. You think that these installations should be a conduit for people to release so that they're not so wound up. That's so true, which like, is like somebody, what New Yorkers need. Yeah, if somebody can say, you know, F Trump on a subway wall, maybe they won't, they'll be a little less angry with their family. You know, that, I don't know. That's my hope. 
Yeah. That's like looking at the silver lining of something that's generally like not super great. It's kind of in a similar note. Do you notice any, I'm thinking like, um, in like financial stuff, like when you say like a seasonality analysis kind of Mm, thing, do you notice like an influx of notes during a certain time, like the holidays or when there's, I guess, tourists? Um, no, I, I don't. Really? I think if I if I you one of the reasons I don't have data points like that is because okay. I don't use the same prompt. True. So if I just wrote "Express Yourself," which I have, uh, if I just did that for many different installations, it would be very reflective of where I do it and when. Mm-hmm. So if when I do "Express Yourself" after the election, there were like tons of notes of love. There were a few notes that were really angry about Trump. There were even fewer notes, but still present notes that supported Trump. And then there was all sorts of political stuff. Mm-hmm. But like those were pretty much the four topics. It was like support, you know, malcontent, and then, you know, some like political commentary. And then just people writing whatever. Somebody wrote send news. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> just on a sticky note. No Instagram or anything, just send news. Like, That's pretty funny. That's good. <laughs> um, but I think even as the days went on after the election, the very first day people were super angry. And then the second day people were more hopeful. And then the third day people were more supportive. And then by the, the you know, second and third week, almost all of the notes had to do with love and support and being there for each other and coming together, which is pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Like I was mentioning earlier about not telling people what to think about it. I would, mm-hmm. I would watch people walk up to the installation and they'd be like, oh my gosh, what is this? And they would be like, oh, I think it's like a love thing. Like, I think it's just like a community thing. Like, mm-hmm. That's like, no, the best. Like, that's the best. Like, yeah. why wouldn't I want people to feel that way about it? That's so great. Yeah. Um, but I also did that project in Malmo in Sweden, which is interesting. I just wrote Express Yourself. And it, it was surprising how similar the conversations were. So talk to people there, Mm -hmm. you know, people were talking about immigration. People were talking about guns in underprivileged areas so that, you know, young, dark people can kill each other. And it's like this top down conspiracy type thing. It it was, it was surprising because I talked to young people that were there that were writing like, call me for drugs or whatever. And I was like, Hey, like, what, is that really what you want to say? Like, is that is that the, is that the thing that you want to share? If you have the opportunity to really, you know, if somebody reads your note and is impacted by it, like, is that the only thing you have to share? And there was this young kid who was like, they're killing us, like, they're putting guns on us, like, like beating us to us. Yeah, this is in Sweden. Wow. This is in, in Malmo, in Sweden. And I was like, what? I was like, this is not the conversation I expected to have. Like, Yeah. I guess it makes uh, you realize how small the world really is. Yeah, there's... Every country in the world is having their own problems with immigration. They're having their own struggles with how to incorporate uh, people that are coming into the country with people that live there. Mm-hmm. They're having trouble with uh, income disparity. The problems are really similar. They just, you know, look different. Yeah. Is the same in Berlin and uh, where else do you say? Um, I th- in Brussels and Berlin, there wasn't so much of that talk. It was... Uh, when I was there in Brussels, it was the anniversary after the terrorist attack that happened at the, it's like, is it the Zaventem airport, I think. Yeah. And, and then also in, at a subway station. But even in that instance, people were providing these different things that were in support of uh, different people. But the, the neighborhood where the bombing occurred was a particularly ethnic, uh, ethnically diverse neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so their way of responding with their identity, at least within the city, was to write their area code on the note. So they would write a note and then they would, underneath it would, it would be an area code or just an area code, which I didn't understand at all. I was like, oh, what are all these numbers? And then uh, there was a guy that was there and he was saying, these are people who are writing the area codes of the zone where they live. And there was a concentration of people who had written their area code that were from the area where the bombing occurred. Oh, okay. And we, I was at a different station because that station was kind of like a hot zone. And mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily want to go 
to the exact place where there was an attack because you know yeah. you don't necessarily want to um, create a target for mm-hmm. a second attack or something like that. And so it was just interesting to be in a station and to be in a political moment. An artist had invited me to come and do it there. Oh, cool! So I just came and did it, and uh, we worked together to do it, and it was really great. But you know, again, still similar. Yeah. You know, there was like this poor neighborhood where this terrorist attack occurred and then people were responding to it in a different way. It's sort of the same stuff that we have here. Yeah. This is kind of a, I mean, this is on a different note, but I was just thinking about it. I, I mean, I feel like I'm a person who, I guess like empathetic would be the word, or I just, mm-hmm. I feel what I read or I feel what I see. Mm-hmm. How are you able to not be like affected by those notes that are, you know, when you said, how are you really? And they say depressed and sad Mm -hmm. and lonely. Like, how are you able to separate yourself from that? It's a good question. I don't know if I do. Or like, do you? Yeah. I don't know if I do a good job of separating myself from it. I sort of think that if you have like radical openness, it probably means that you're open forward facing, but then you'd also be open to like all sides. And if you are porous enough, then things can come into you and they can go out of you. So that's sort of the strategy I try and take. So you'd say you are radically open? I think the... Or the people come to you? I think the people that are sharing are open in Mm -hmm. in a directional way. Like some people are open many ways and some people are open just in one way. So if you come up to me with a problem with your daughter, that was really, she had a, uh, she was recently diagnosed with an ailment that is incurable and is going to give her quality of life that's less than what you would want for her Mm -hmm. for for the rest of her life. Yeah. You're devastated about it. And you share that with me. You know, you are sharing probably in a way that doesn't invite, like, I don't need to share something back. It's just a one directional thing. Got it. But for me, since I'm open to receive that, I'm probably also open to let it out too. Because I'm receiving it and I'm feeling it and I'm there with that person. But I'm also able to like let it go to wherever it's going to go. Like it can kind of come into me and then I can send it out into the universe or out to God or out to whatever entity you imagine is out there that's listening. Uh, Or you just send it into space. It goes wherever it's going to go. Uh, I don't feel like I need to give anything to a place to live inside okay. me. I guess that's like a, a good quality in just in general for like psychologists and mm-hmm. in that field. That, so that makes sense. I think people go about taking care of their own mental health, mental health in different ways who are in fields where they, they cater to people who have a lot to share that's really heavy. Mm-hmm. I work with a group of students at the door who are just incredible and they're at risk, underserved young people in New York who, you know, a lot of who are homeless, who haven't had uh, good good relationships with their families. They don't necessarily surround themselves with people that, that support them or care about them. Uh, they've been preyed upon a lot. And so their stories are really, really heavy. Yeah. And the thing that I can do is to not be upset, you know, because I don't want to make them feel bad that their life is hard or that, if they talk to, you know, a white person that they're going to implode because what that person is sharing is too heavy for me to bear. Mm-hmm. I really just try and be a good listener without, without making it personal or thinking like, Oh my gosh, like I need to feel so much for this person. Cause I think if you feel sorry for people or if you feel too much, then it just doesn't serve the person that you're listening to. I'll give you an example. Yeah. There was a guy that came up, and he sat down with me, and uh, this is like fairly late one night. I'd been doing a sticky note installation, and I put all the sticky notes away. And I was sitting down, and I was talking to this uh, young woman who happened to stay, and she was really interested in the project. And so we were just chatting after, and I was like, "Oh yeah, like this is so funny because this is what it used to be like. I used to set up the sign, and I would be talking to people." Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, that's so funny. And then this guy came up and he was like, hey, what's subway therapy? And I was like, hey, if you want to sit down, like we can have a conversation. I was like, oh, cool. Like I get to do old subway therapy mm-hmm. for, for like a minute. And uh, she kind of stood up, but she she hung around. And we were talking to this guy. 
he was sitting down, she was standing up, and I was sitting there. And he was like, I didn't, I made all my plans. Like, I'm going to end my life. And I'm on my way right now to go talk to my ex-wife. And I'm going to tell her that I'm going to do it. And I've been playing this for a while, and I think I'm just ready to not be alive anymore. And I was like, well, do you want to talk about that? And we did talk about it. And he was telling me about how he... I just, instead of really being focused on, here's somebody who wants to die, like maybe later tonight, I just wanted to know about him as a person. Mm -hmm. And then I wasn't thinking like, oh, I must do something about this. Or um, if I don't say the right thing, he's going to be dead. Mm -hmm. I just didn't really think that way. I just kind of kept being myself and and then was asking him questions. And he was talking, I was like, but you know, what why would you want to stick around? Like, what things do you enjoy doing? He was like, well, you know, I like want to finish. I, I'm like writing a novel. And I was like, that's cool. And he's like, well, you know, I just, you know, I haven't finished it. And I was like, well, you got to finish your novel at least. Yeah. You know, and share that with people. And, and he was kind of like, even though he was really sad and ready to not be around anymore, he was just, he was still pretty funny. And he had a great smile. And I was like, your smile's so great. It'd be such a shame if like people didn't get to see it. And I was saying things like that to just try and encourage him to see some things that I could see that were really great about him. And, uh, I said, here's my phone number. Give me a call. If you need to call someone later, if you're feeling kind of desperate, like, like, you, you, you know, like I would be happy for you to be around. And I, and he told me about it how his life was really rough and was constantly basically just getting kicked down in different ways for his entire life. And uh, it was really rough. But I gave him my phone number and said, hey, give me a call, and he didn't. And then um, about three months afterwards, I got a call from him. And he was like, hey, what's up? Like, it's me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's so good to hear from you. Like, how's it going? And he was like, it's good. You know, like, things are better now. And like, I'm really thankful that you were chatting with me that one night. And I was like, I got you, man. Like, it was, it's just so nice to hear you. And we chatted for a little bit. And it was really nice. And that is we amazing. Talked, we haven't talked since. And so my assumption is he's probably just, like, doing his thing. And I'm really happy about that. Yeah. I mean, just those last, like those conversations and just kind of, as you said, not looking or changing, you know, your facial expression, because that's, I feel like what feeds the stigma is kind of having this adverse reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I'm like, Oh my God, like what, what would it feel like if I died? Or, or you know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't empathize. Yeah. There's no way to empathize. You just got to listen. Yeah. And I think if I even try and empathize in a way that embodies that feeling, like I would feel like I want to die. Yeah. And that would be really unhelpful if I was so upset by his story that I couldn't tell him that I loved his smile. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, what was I going to say? Oh, not, this is kind of like on a different note and, and Jack is like, I guess a, too much of a question, but mm-hmm. how do you personally like, process your own thoughts and like your therapy for lack of for sure. not lack of a better uh, word for that word. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I do that's therapy for me is I create these projects. Yeah. That's uh, true. So subway therapy sort of grew out of my like I'm I'm driven almost always by curiosity. Mm-hmm. I'm just really, really a curious person. I'm constantly uh, exploring the world through that. I come up with questions that I want answers to that are really weird. And then I'll explore that. Like how do people feel better about stuff they feel bad about? Mm -hmm. And uh, for this particular one, one reason that I do subway therapy is because New York is lonely and I'm lonely. There are moments when I feel frustrated because I'm stuck inside and I'm like, I don't want to be inside. Like I want to go out and do something. What do I want to go out and do? I want to go out and drink. It's like, no, I want to do something more interesting than that. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm going to go out and talk to people because that's what I want. I want like human interaction to talk to people and to be present and to, to be a part of New York city because it's such a vibrant city. 
so why not like go out with a table and two chairs and just invite conversation? I, I like he like fills that void yeah. for me to, of, of not having having anyone to talk to. So that's been really fun. It's funny that I mean, not that I'm comparing this podcast at all to what you do because yeah. like, but I I totally feel that given that that's kind of what I did to create this product or that's kind of the reason I created this podcast is because I was thinking about how lonely everyone was, how lonely I was and saying, why, why we're all feeling the same way. Why can't I just have conversations about it, share Mm -hmm. them with other people, have conversations about the conversations and then, Mm -hmm. you know, see what happens. So it's funny. What, what is your, when is your birthday by the way? September 9th. Oh, that's funny. You're a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. Hey. Maybe. Wow. That's maybe the the uh, thought process was the same because of the you know the universe. Are you spiritual at all or like yeah religious? Um, I'm many things on many different days. <laughs> I'm not all at the same time. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to take a quick break and then end by asking Great. you. Um, some of my favorite questions to ask. Cool. Okay. So before I end, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you un- unrelated to your project, but okay. I just like asking everyone them. So the first one is what's one thing in your life that's happened to you. That's made you a stronger person today. I had ducks when I was a kid. Had what? Ducks. Like, Quack, quack. Yeah, like quack. Zach and quack specifically. Um, Those are their names. And yeah. that's made you stronger? Yeah, for sure. How? Well, I had ducks when I was, I think it was like five or six. And I was their mom. So they followed me around the line. I really felt a lot of responsibility for them. And I would throw them up into the air when I thought it was time for them to learn how to fly. And they just really, they're really important to me. You know, it was interesting to be so young, but to have such motherly instincts mm-hmm. for, for something. And I think that actually made me really strong. And yeah. I know that's sort of probably a weird no, story, it's, it's but interesting. you know, as a young boy to feel so comfortable being motherly and being uh, a caretaker for animals, I think it made me a really strong person and yeah. it made me really interested in in um, in not caring so much about like being a strong man that needs to do different things, you mm-hmm. know, because like I was like the mom of two ducks when I was a little kid, and that is that was a really meaningful thing for me. And I think that, it, that if I was like, oh, like ducks are dumb, like being mom is for girls, <laughs> I just wouldn't. I wouldn't be the person that I. Yeah, and I guess you took that compassion with you, obviously, to create this project. Yeah. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Uh, I have mixed feelings about it. What are your feelings? Um, I think when I was younger, I used to really feel that way. Mm -hmm. Sort of everything happens with an intelligent design. And then as I've gotten older and as I've had more experience in life, I think that there is beauty in randomness. And so I don't know if I care. I don't know if it matters to me that everything is meaningful because I believe everything is meaningful and not because there's a design, but because it is. Yeah. And, and there's sort of a philosophy of, of me wandering through life with a compass and no map. Like I know where I know where I need to go, but I don't know where that is. I don't know what the path is to get there. I just know where I, the next foot is going to go. And that sort of in some ways feels like predestiny or everything happens for a reason. But it's more like everything happens because it happens. Yeah, it's like more looking forward than looking back. Mm, yeah. yeah. like that. Okay, if a crystal ball could tell you anything about yourself, your life, your future, or anything else, what would you most want to know? A crystal ball? Mm-hmm. What would I want to know? If anything. Can, do I get to keep it? Do I only get to ask it one, one question? One question. Just one question. What would I want to know? 
You don't have to know anything. Yeah, no. The first thing that came to mind was like, I probably wouldn't ask it anything. But uh, let's see. Do, do, do people know that I got the answer from this? Or, no. Or, uh, just just you do. Because yeah. like, I could ask, like, you know, who the true God, like, does God exist? Or, yeah. Or something like that. But if I found that out. Oh, you could tell people, one, I guess. I mean, but I'm saying, like, I would be the only one. crazy. Would, yeah, this is what I'm saying. I'd be the only one that would know that. Yeah. I think I'd probably ask for something really practical, like, you know, what the, what the lotto numbers are. True. For That's all the different lottos. That's a good one, actually. I never thought about that. Because then I would have, like, presumably generational wealth yeah. <laughs> immediately. Or would someone catch on? <laughs> yeah. Be like, this guy, I guess, all of these numbers. <laughs> there must be something going on. Yeah, I would do that, and then I would start a nonprofit. Yeah. I like that. Okay, do you have a quote or a mantra that you live by? Or a favorite quote? Quote or mantra. So I like to talk about the year of the fish. Uh, I, I know. I can see your face. Is that curious, like incredulous? Yeah. Is that like a? <laughs> it's not a thing. It's just a me thing. Okay. What so is it? So for a time, I had this fish shirt that was like a fishing shirt. And, okay. Uh, it had, I think it had bass on it and fishing poles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it might, you know, my dad fished forever, and so was my grandpa. And we used to go fishing uh, with my brother and. and my mom and just uh, a bunch of people in my family all fish. Mm. And uh, I really love the philosophy of fishing. Like I'm not much of a hunter. I'm more of a, a fisherman. Okay? Mm-hmm. I would much rather craft bait or traps or things like that than go and hunt stuff. Yeah. So it's just like kind of lame. It's like, it's not that it's easy, but also it's more engaging. Like imagine a, a master craftsman creating like this one fly for fly fishing. And that, that's gonna he's gonna try and trick this one type of fish. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. It's like more thought into it, kind of. Yeah, like people in dating, I think they take it like a hunting approach. Like they go hunt stuff, and I'm yeah. like, no, like you just you should make yourself look like the most of yourself, so that you can catch the one fish that's perfect for you, instead of like throwing out this huge net, just catching like any old thing, and then yeah. trying to figure out like what the best of this trash that you've pulled up. <laughs> wherever you know. I like that comparison honestly that's like what people do though like that's so it's like online dating is hunting <laughs> I guess like, so Tinder you're just like you're like okay I'm just gonna like swipe on everything and, like, like snipe yeah, yeah, yeah. swipe or snipe yeah <laughs> but anyway to come back to the fish thing um, I just started building it into a philosophy of my life because I think if you think about something enough it evolves I'm actually teaching a workshop about this uh, at Soho House on December 16th about choosing a theme for every year that amplifies your creative energy. So for me, I do that with fish. And next year is going to be the year of a goldfish. Oh, so you choose a type of fish. It started out with just it's the year of the fish, and fish die if they don't have flow across their gills to get oxygen. And people are like that too. Like if you're just sitting on your couch and you're like just on Instagram, just doing mindless stuff. Like there's no flow, there's no there's mm-hmm. no life, there's no creative energy. It's probably not. That's probably that's probably close to you drowning and not you thriving. Mm-hmm. So uh, for the year, first year I did it, it was. Okay, I have to either be still in a place with lots of flow, or I need to be in a flow state in uh, a still place. So, you know, sitting still in the subway, great. Uh, moving through my apartment, great. You know, like I just chose different ways to build that philosophy. And then the year after that was the year of the stone. It was about building foundations. And then the next year was the year of the sword. And I, th- I would kind of got away from the fish thing. And uh, it was about cutting away things I don't need. And it was about Miyamoto Musashi, who's the greatest swordsman ever. And, and then I was like, oh, my God, there's a stormfish. And there's a swordfish. It's been year of the fish the whole time. And then this year I'm getting back to the fish, but then doing like the year of gold. So That's awesome. So yeah. what is the workshop exactly? Uh, so the workshop is going to be a little bit about the ideation behind how I create works like Subway Therapy. Okay. And then it's going to be uh, a series of 
uh, my hope is that it will be an interactive workshop that invites people to bring things that they like, idea ideological. They mm-hmm. can bring a little piece of themselves. Or bring like their favorite animals. Bring something to the table that that we can work together to craft uh, uh, a mantra out of, or to craft uh, an ideological framework that they can use to their benefit for, for, for the year. I like that. So like right before the new year, I guess. Yeah. Right before the new year, it, you know, like with the year of the goldfish, mm-hmm. but how I've like been doing this for several years now. So I figured out ways to really use it as a guide that just gives me a playful framework to work inside. And, and uh, with year of gold, I'm like, okay, I'm going to like really try hard to make money and do it in a really great way. And then I'm also going to not be afraid of growing because goldfish will just grow to the size of their containers. These get like bigger and bigger. Have you ever seen a wild goldfish? Uh-uh. So like people will release goldfish into the wild and they'll get massive, like the size of this table. Oh, wow. <laughs> if they live, they just keep growing. That's cool. I know. So ideologically, I love the idea of growing to the size of your container. And if your container is too small, then you probably need a bigger container. Yeah, that's cool. So... Like uh, you know, I can I can create those things because I have this framework to create them inside of. It's like it's like a little play pen that's just for me, and I think other people can jump into my fantasy, but they can create their own so that they can, you know, feel that way too. If you're a goldfish, you're probably really forgetful. Well, what's the positive spin on being forgetful? I don't hold on to things that are holding me back. Yeah, you know, like I don't need to remember all the bad things that have ever happened. Like maybe this year I'll let some of those go. Yeah, I like that. So you know, okay. this I can I can do that. And then that. each year you can create something else. I like this. Yeah, I'll have to think of a fish. <laughs> think of a fish. Yeah. Okay, my last or second to last question is: What do you love most about yourself? Uh, I like my creativity. I like. Love or, 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 I like. Sorry, I like my curiosity. You like or you love it? I, I love it. I love it. Um. It just leads me to all these really fun places. I yeah. Just, I, I think playfulness is really important to me. But uh, being curious is just such a fun thing to do. Yeah. I mean. And to be open and to be curious is so, I just love it. And I love that about myself. And I'm like, really, I'll just go down these rabbit holes that are so fun and so interesting. And, I, and I'm really confident now that I can come back. So. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, it's really fun. And my last question, which is the name of the podcast, is in one sentence, how do you find solace in the city? Um, Have conversations with people you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's it for me. I love that, and I probably agree. Or 100% agree. It's very on brand for the podcast. Very on brand. (laughs) Thank you so, so much sure. for letting me interview you. This has been like so interesting and mind blowing. And I'm just oh. so fascinated. Where can everyone follow you, support you, buy your books? Uh, so you can buy my books on Amazon. Uh, just bought you them. Can, you can go. Cool. <laughs> you can go to my website, uh, which is subwaytherapy.com. You could also go to, okay, wait, let me just walk, let's start at the top. You can go to mattchavez.com to find out about me as a person and then find out some different works that I'm doing. I'm doing uh, a project called Secret Telephone where you can share and listen to secrets. And then I'm doing subway therapy. And then I'm going to be developing more work in the future. So mattchavez.com is a great place to go to to check out like Matt Chavez stuff. And then subwaytherapy.com is a great place where you can go to check out my biggest work, which is about sticky notes and the thing that we've been talking about. There's a donate page there. Uh, you can go, I think you can go, uh, right now I'm actually doing a campaign. Some people are listening to this. I think it's still going to be going on if you, if you publish it on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, a lot of people have reached out because they wanted to donate to the project recently. Oh yeah. And so I'm going to be, uh, I opened up a channel for people to uh, donate, uh, and you can do that on at subwaytherapy.com/slash/donate. There's a couple of different ways that people can go about donating to the project. They can give back, 
And then I'll probably be giving proceeds to a local nonprofit as well because it's the giving season. Yeah. And it seems like a, the right thing to do for me too. And there'll be more information about that online. Um, yeah, at Subway Therapy on Instagram is an excellent place to follow the project because it's very colorful. It's colorful. It's fun. If wherever you live in the entire world, you can go to Subway Therapy. Uh, you can go to at Subway Therapy and uh, I post questions that I'm going to use for the public. And then I write any, all the answers that I get. Oh, so great. you can totally write in an answer. I'll write on a sticky note for you. And then you can be part of the actual physical installation that, that goes into public space. Love so that. I do all sorts of fun things at Subway Therapy. Great. Well, thanks again. And um, bye everyone. Bye. <laughs>